Hey gamers, this is Joe for What I'm Playing Now, and I have episode 86 of the podcast that was originally recorded on October 2nd of 2015, some of the games I played for the week, Cthulhu Realms, some Pathfinder Scenario 622 out of Anarchy, some Shroud of the Avatar, a lot of Mad Max, and a little Elite Dangerous. I also talked about a few of the games I want to play now. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, gamers, and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. My name is Joe Luzzi, and we are on episode 86 of the podcast. Hey, thanks for joining me this evening. Hey, as always, send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to whatimplayingnow at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at whatimplayingnow. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for What I'm Playing Now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign what i'm playing now podcast and then of course our twitch channel which is twitch.tv slash what i'm playing now which i actually brought live this past weekend and actually played through some of mad max that i showed and i was having a really good time playing that i'll probably be pulling that live again this weekend playing a little bit more mad max i also may start doing some october fun games i may do i've been wanting to do a horror series for the past year year or so so i may actually do some horror games for october i'm not really too sure which games i want to play i have some on the console on the ps4 i have some on the from steam as well so i'm just gonna have to pick one out maybe and just start doing a stream of one but i will be trying to get some more mad max in i actually played a little bit off the stream the other day because i just didn't have time to get the stream going and i just wanted to get a little get a get through a couple missions but we'll talk about mad max here in a little bit so hopefully everybody was enjoying the twitch stream and i will try to keep those going again now that i am have lit that channel back up and was actually really enjoying playing online. I was having a little bit of some problems with, I believe it was, I was using XSplit at first and it seemed like the the stream was just a little twitchy and was just, didn't seem smooth. I switched over to OBS and that did seem to fix most of my problems. So I'll stick with OBS going forward with Mad Max and I'll just use XSplit for some of the other games I got going on. So we have a whipping update. So this is like where I do kind of like let you guys know what I'm planning on for the site or for the podcast or something. One of the things I'm actually going to try to do is maybe put some show times or some segment times, I guess I should say, into the show notes. So I figure... I know there's a lot of different people that may just want to watch a particular part of the show or maybe just forward, fast forward to a particular game that I'm talking about. So I will go ahead and try to put some notes in to the different parts of where I'm talking about a particular game or topic, and you will be able to jump right ahead to those um, just by basically fast forwarding to that time that I have on there. So let's jump into some Cthulhu Realms and this is the what I'm playing now part of the show and yes I did get some Cthulhu Realms in was able to get some four player games in down at my game store still haven't had a chance to teach it to my wife but uh, that's okay because the four player games I played were actually quite good and we had a good time with it so I think as I mentioned before Cthulhu Realms is basically just a, a normal deck builder so there's just a stack of cards everybody's starting off with 10 cards you're going to start off with two initiates two goons and six followers and that's going to be your starting deck there's going to be 66 general cards that are basically going to be all shuffled together and then you're going to deal five of those out you're going to put the rest of the initiates to the side of that so there will be six available piles to purchase from at the beginning of the game 
And the interesting thing with this one is the rest of the general deck, you know, deck that's going to be pulled from from the cards is going to be placed face up next to the available cards that are on the table. So I thought that was kind of interesting. After playing through the game, some of us sat around and talked and well, we kind of like seeing the actual cards that were coming up next. We weren't really too sure that we really liked playing that way. I mean, yeah, it was kind of nice to see what was coming up so you can plan some things. But having it hidden is just, to us, just seemed like it was, it would just be a little bit better. We, we didn't, we actually didn't try playing it like that. So when I do actually maybe get around to some two-player games of this with my wife, we may try to do that and see how it goes and see if it does make a difference when you're playing as far as what type of strategy you use. You know, you, you won't see the cards that are coming up and how that will play into your strategy as opposed to when you can see the cards and you know when you want to possibly buy something and when not to. So so just like most deck builder games, your normal card consists of quite a few icons. And the icons in this game, I will say, were a little confusing at first. You really ha I had to sit down and read the reread through the rules multiple times before it kind of sunk in. I actually sat down, played a couple of solo games by myself. Finally, I think when I got through about the second solo game, about halfway through that second solo game is when things kind of really just started to, to click for me. And I really just kind of got a much better feeling for what the symbols were meaning, how it was all playing together. The first time I was kind of referring, the first time I played through the game, I was referring back to the rules constantly in the rules are definitely not very long at all. It's basically just the front and back of, um, of, an, of an oversized sheet of paper. So learning the cards and the icons are going to be the trickiest thing. And I'll try to go through some of those right now to maybe help anybody, you know, figure some of those icons out. So when you're looking at a card, the conjuring cost in the upper right-hand corner is basically going to be the cost of the card. That's how many points you're going to have to spend to actually purchase the card. Now you can get purchase points basically through the upper left-hand corner of the card, which will basically show you kind of like a blue sunburst symbol, which is similar to the actual right-hand corner of the card. And that will basically have a plus symbol next to a number next to it. And that will basically is what you can add together to get um, a cost together or points together to be able to purchase for. So in the upper left-hand corner, you could also have an ability that's there. Below that, you could have a couple of more abilities, and that's where things can get a little confusing. The number of abilities you can have on a card, I think some of the cards I've seen go up to about three different abilities, and you don't necessarily need to do those in any order. And that's one of the biggest things, I think, to learn about the game. What I kind of started doing to make things a little easier to remember what abilities I've activated and what abilities I had not activated, I started to use my old life die, my life um, counters from Magic the Gathering from years ago, which are basically little glass beads that it would set over an ability and kind of cover up. In the rules, they actually talk about maybe just turning the card sideways or at maybe like an angle so you can see that you've used it, but with several of the cards having multiple multiple abilities that you won't necessarily do in any particular order because you can do any of the three in any order that you want and then you can jump to another card and then come back to that card that's probably one of the most confusing things to pick up and just keep track of i know when i was playing the solo game a couple of times there were a couple of turns where i completely lost my mind as far as what i had activated and what wasn't activated and that's when i just pulled out my little bag of glass beads and started using those and that definitely seemed to help out quite a bit a couple other icons you have on the card you have a color that's along the bottom that will be on the over the words i believe you have yellow cards purple cards green and then black so those are the four different colors that you can actually have and the one kind of tip i can give you is if you start picking up one of a particular color look to see look at the abilities that that card has as a lot of times if you pick up colors 
or cards that have the same color on there, they will start to play off of each other and let you do those other abilities. Sometimes one of the prerequisites you may find to accomplish an ability or to perform an ability, you actually have to have maybe that color card already on the table to basically do that ability. So we'll get into that stuff in a little bit, but that's there's, there's a lot to the icons, like I said, and it's something that's very important to learn and pick up early on. It'll be a little confusing at first, but trust me, after a game or two, it's not a problem. When I taught it to a group of people down at my game store, they picked it up really quick and nobody really had an issue with it once I explained it all to them. It was trickier for me to pick up than I think it was for me to explain it to them. In the lower left-hand corner, you can have a different symbol, which could basically be the type of card that it is. And then if it's a location, it could also have like a sanity value on there. So basically on your turn, you're gonna, the first player is only going to play three cards. After that, everybody then will draw or basically the first person to play will draw three cards and then play that hand after that and even the beginning play after that everybody then one then will draw five cards into their hand and then play that normally and it's just going to be just like a deck builder from here on out you're going to be playing cards using abilities purchasing other cards from the center of the table or if you're playing with more than two people where you just have the five cards in the middle if you're playing with three or four those cards are basically going to be in be you're going to have a row of cards in between each player and that's where things got a little interesting and I had to kind of read the rules on. So basically when you're playing a three or four player game, you're going to have cards in between each player and you can only, in a four player game, you can only attack the player on your left or your right. So you're not attacking everybody until you knock those people out directly to your left or your right, then kind of like it shrinks down and then you're attacking the other person and just ignoring the one person that was knocked out. So that was that was kind of interesting. And at first I wasn't too sure how that was going to play out, but it actually worked perfectly. None of us had an issue with that one. We all had a good time with that. So let's go over some of the symbols here on the cards, just so everybody can have a good understanding of what some of the symbols mean. So one of the symbols is could be a double-sided arrow. It'll be red on the top, black on the bottom. And that's basically a symbol that means you can do one of two abilities, and that is an or ability. So there could be an ability where you can get a two points maybe to actually spend on, you know, for conjuring cost, or you could basically hurt somebody for one sanity. And that black and red arrow basically means you could do one of those. So it's one ability or the other. There's also abilities on there which will basically state a, a type of ability and then have what they are referring to as the abjure symbol with an arrow underneath it. That basically means you can abjure the card. And what that means is you can take that card and basically remove it from play to be able to perform that action. So there's a lot of cards that you'll see in the game that have the abjure icon on it, which is almost like a red square that kind of looks like a white explosion in the middle of it and that's the abjure a card you can do that with cards that have a conjuring cost of six or less from your hand your discard pile or from the available cards in the center of the table it basically removes that card from the game so early on one of the cards that's in your base deck is an initiate and you can actually abjure that card remove it from the game which basically it's going to go back into the box and you can actually cause one of your opponents to take minus one to their sanity which is basically hitting them for one point of damage some of the locations that you'll also find in the game will have the location symbol on it, which kind of looks like um like kind of a bell tower or something. And they could have a couple of different icons on them as well. There could be one lo one location that has that symbol in the lower left-hand corner that has a shield with a person standing on there, and that's a sanctuary. And that means that an opponent has to attack that card first before they actually do any damage to you as a character. Then there's also another location that it can have a shield on there, which inside that shield, you can have the picture of a location or of 
the location type symbol, I guess I should, I should say, and that's considered a nexus, and that basically protects your other locations on the board. So that would mean that your opponents would have to destroy that location first before they attack any of their other locations. So if you could basically get a nexus and a sanctuary out, and you have another location on the board, you can really start causing your opponents some havoc in that they have to destroy this one location first before they can take care of any of the other locations that they may really want to you know, take care of that are possibly doing damage to them on a per turn basis. So it gets to be really crazy after you start getting some of the cards on the table. The location cards are the only cards that pretty much stay into play permanently. I don't want to say permanently once they're played, but until they're destroyed, they stay in, they stay on the board. All the other cards are pretty much wiped away, just like most other deck building games. And when your opponents are attacking the location, the value that's on there, basically, which is the sanity value of that location, that number has to be, they have to deal that much damage in one turn to that card to be able to destroy it. So it's not like they can, if a location value has a sanity value of five, they can't do three one turn and two another. Or one person can't do three and then that damage stays there and the next person do a couple. No, it has to be damage done by one person in one turn to basically get rid of that card. So that makes things very interesting as well. Some of the other icons on the cards in the lower left-hand corner, besides the location symbol, which kind of looks like that kind of clock tower, like I said, that I saw, there will be entity, artifacts, as well as the location. The entity kind of looks like a person. Artifact looks kind of like a vase, I guess you could say, if you want to be all fancy. Um, you have, like I said, you have the four colors. There's also another icon that is a discard card, a discard icon, which basically is kind of like a brown box with a minus symbol in there. And the brown box basically can be a draw or discard based on if there is a plus or minus in it. There could also be both a plus and minus in it, which means that one player would have to do a draw a card and then a discard a card from their, from their hand. That's pretty much, I think, a rundown of a majority of the symbols. There are a couple more. The kind of like head with the brain showing with like a negative number in there is going to be a gain or lose sanity. So you can actually heal yourself or you can actually heal another player if you really want to. If you want to try to keep one of your opponents in the game. I don't think I ever really saw that happen in any of the games I've played so far. But they say in the rules that you can do it. There's also an ability to acquire an abjured card. So on the turn that you actually discard a card, there is an abjure. It's kind of like half of the abjure icon with some green on the bottom along with an arrow, which means you can actually pick up that card from the box, even though it was just discarded. Now you can only pick up an abjured card on the turn it was discarded. So there's a nice little trick here that you can do if you don't have enough power to be able to purchase a card, but yet you can abjure one from the middle of the table or between you and your opponents who are playing more than two players, you can actually abjure the card and then actually acquire that abjured card from the box and basically have it for zero cost and get it into your deck. That's a little trick that I read somewhere and that definitely does come into play and can help you out quite a bit. You can also destroy a location and the destroy location icon basically looks kind of like the location that's being cracked in half. Those are most of the symbols that I believe that are in the game. Hopefully that helps out in explaining what some of them do. And if anybody does have any questions, go ahead and post on the website and I'll be definitely more than happy to try to answer any questions on any of the icons. I think some of the trickier ones for us were the icons where they basically had multiple icon where the cards had multiple icons on them so you could have a, to destroy a location like they show in the rules you need a green card out on the table and then you somebody has to has had to have discarded a card on that turn sometimes those can get a little tricky when you have multiple icons there but like i said once you kind of learn everything 
It's it's not really that bad. Everybody that I've played with has enjoyed the game immensely so far. I really like it, I have to say. For the $20 price, I think that it is, this is probably definitely one of my the one of the deck builders I like the most because it can be played fairly quickly. It's a nice small deck of cards. Can't wait to see if they actually come out with any expansions for it. I'm sure they will, considering all the expansions they did for Star Realm. So I would definitely give Cthulhu Realms a look at if you haven't had a chance to before and check it out as I'm sure everybody will like it. All right, and then I actually got to participate in some Pathfinder this past week. I played Scenario 6-22 out of Anarchy. I will say this is probably one of the better scenarios I've played since I've gotten back into Pathfinder. We had a really good time with this, a great party. I think there were five of us that went through this scenario, and it was actually a fairly long scenario. I believe it probably took us probably close to four hours to complete the whole thing, and I actually didn't think we were going to complete it for a few minutes considering how just long this thing seemed and how just many pages the DM was the DM was saying that were to the whole scenario, but it was a great scenario. I think one of the things I liked about this more than some of the other scenarios, it wasn't just completely combat heavy. There were some very good combats throughout this scenario, but they didn't seem to take up a bulk of the evening, and there was a lot of role-playing, a lot of research that the team needed to do. We had to figure out a lot of puzzles and just, just do a lot of talking between us and amongst just the NPCs that the DM was, you know, introducing us to throughout the game. If anybody does get a chance to play this scenario, we played it on the lower level. I think most of us were second-level characters, is what we were playing it as, and I will say... I had a blast playing this scenario and can't wait to go back to Pathfinder again this next week and meet up with the group and play through another one. But uh, Out of Anarchy, I will say, was probably one of the better scenarios I've played recently. Not just not just because of the group I played with, but like I said, mainly just because of the content of the scenario. And it was just so different than some of the other scenarios I've played so far since I've actually gotten back into, you know, the RPG content since I was out of it for so long. All right, we're going to jump over to a few computer games now. And we're going to jump over to Shroud of the Avatar. Still playing that game some. I haven't played it as much this past week as the next two games that I'll talk about after this one. Or have taken up quite a bit of my PC time lately. But Shroud of the Avatar I have logged into. Checked out a couple of different things. I think I moved my house to a new location. I think I moved my house to Braemar and got a house in a very nice location there. And having a good time playing that. I haven't done this month's Hat Quest so I do need to do that, and I, from reading through the forums, it seems like it's rather tricky because you have to go through, I think it's the Etc. Mines is where you have to go through. I'm not 100% certain. I'd have to look look through it again. I know I talked to the NPC in Soul Town to actually start the quest, but then I actually just never got to start going through some of the locations. It sounds like this NPC, you have to run past some ghosts, and the ghosts hit very hard from what I've heard. I'm not really too sure I've been too far into that particular mine or dungeon, so that should be pretty interesting. That'll be... I'm going to try to do this without following a guide like I have for the past couple of ones. I'm hoping being a little bit higher level and having my stats a little higher. I'm hoping I can survive the ghosts, although I'm not really 100% certain I can, because it sounds like even players that do have some skill and some levels under their belts are still having a little bit of problems with it. But if not, I'll just reach out to the guild or a couple of friends, and we will hopefully get through that. All right, and then like I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the games I got into this past week was Mad Max. I spent quite a bit of time playing Mad Max, did a couple of streams, lit up the Twitch stream for this, which I haven't done in quite a while. So that was interesting. I ran into a few technical difficulties early on, like I mentioned at the top of the show, in that XSplit was giving me a few little stuttering problems and was kind of just making the game look a little jerky. And once I moved over to OBS, everything smoothed out. Not really too sure what I had set incorrectly in XSplit, but I'll have to get back to that at a later time to try to figure out to try 
troubleshoot as I just was trying to get the stream working and OBS seemed to work immediately once I gave it a shot. So I went with that. Mad Max, I will say, is a very good looking game. I am very impressed with the graphics on it so far. I think the combat is very reminiscent of the Batman games and the Arkham Knight games and all those. I've added on a bunch of different skills to both my character and have added on quite a few things to the car as well. I've actually finished quite a few missions and have kind of close to completing most of the stuff in one of the first zones and kind of cleaning up that whole area. It seems like that's going to be kind of like the part of the game that's just going to be take a while to do is go through some of the different zones and just cleaning everything up and going through some of the different areas and just destroying certain things like gas tanks or fuel tanks or shutting down oil rigs and oil stations and stuff like that. So you're trying to just decrease the power and influence that some of the some of the bad guys have in the, in the different areas is what it seems like as you're going through a lot of the missions. I will say the car combat is spectacular in this game. I'm really enjoying that part of the game. I think the car combat's really good, being able to slam into the people, being able to pull out your shotgun and actually pick a different part of the car to try to target be it a tire be it the fuel tank that they could have exposed that would instantly that will instantly make the car just blow up and then you'll be able to jump out of your car and salvage a few pieces off the ground from it it's it's just a heck of a lot of fun between the combat both with both the hand combat or weapon combat as well as the car combat it's definitely an action-filled game the driving around, I think the cars, I mean, you're you're on sand, you're in a lot of dune buggies and just a lot of kind of just messed up cars. I, I think they handle, you know, pretty good for what they do. Some of the some of the physics are just crazy. I've done some really crazy jumps so far, and I've had some odd mishaps happen, like um, when I had flipped the one car over and the one tire was kind of just bouncing repeatedly on the ground while it was on its side and I couldn't get the car flipped back over, and so it was rather just an interesting thing that happened. Um, but the game, I will say I haven't found too many bugs. That was one of the only bugs I actually found in the game. So I'm very impressed with that because it seems like some of the games that WB's put out lately have had a few bugs in them. So I, I haven't looked at the forums for this to actually see if there are people talking about anything in particular that's like huge game-stopping bugs. I haven't noticed any so far. The game's been running pretty good for me, I have to say. There's a couple of times where it seems like my frame rate may take a hit or when it's doing some access to the hard drive, the game may hitch just a tiny bit. That has been very far and few between. I don't have this running on my SSD. I do have this on a normal spindle drive. So I'm thinking that could be why I maybe occasionally see those hitches, which... I'm completely fine and content with considering how few I've seen those. I would love to put this on my SSD. I just need something bigger than the 256 gig SSD that I currently have. So maybe once I upgrade this and then throw this into my wife's laptop, I can throw Mad Max onto the SSD and actually see if it does make it smooth, smooth the game out some. But like I said, those hitches that I'm noticing aren't that frequently. So I'm just living with that for now. All right. And then one of the last games I actually started getting back into a little bit and actually making quite a bit of money and got my one ranking up in trading. And that's Elite Dangerous. I some For some reason, I when I was playing Mad Max, I just kind of felt like flying around one day. So I just loaded up Elite, made sure everything was all updated on that. I updated my voice voice assist and my voice attack. Kind of just started flying around and got some really good missions where I was able to make quite a few quite a bit of money, way more than the normal 5 or 6,000 I was getting for some of the low missions. I'm not too sure why all of a sudden I started to get 40 or $50,000 missions available to me at such a low level. I think because it says I was like below penny pincher or something like that as far as my trading and my wealth went. 
but I was able to bump that up actually by completing several missions so far and didn't get stranded out anywhere, was making my jumps count and refueling properly, unlike the last time I had played where I had basically stranded myself and had to had to blow my ship up, which I really wasn't too happy with. But having a heck of a lot of fun back with Elite Dangerous, you're going to play this game. I'm using the 360 controller. I haven't put out the money for a, for a HOTAS controller yet like I've been wanting to. The 360 controller seems to be working pretty good. And voice attack, I will say, is definitely something to pick up for the game. And it definitely helps make the game just that much more fun. All right, those are the games I played for the week. Let's chat a little bit about a few of the things I want to play. One of the first things that went onto Kickstarter this past week was Battletech. They are coming out, Hairbrain, Hairbrain Schemes is coming out with a new Battletech turn-based strategy game. I would watch the video on their Kickstarter page and pledged immediately as I am a pretty big Battletech fan as I've talked about in the past. And a turn-based strategy game I think sounds outstanding from this. these guys. These are the guys who actually, several of the guys actually were the ones who had created some of the tabletop stuff oh, 25, 30 years ago. So these are the guys you will probably want creating a game like this. They also have some newer blood working with them in the art department and stuff, it sounds like. So I think this game should have a really good feel to it, a great look to it, and it just sounds like it's going to be a hell of a good time. So I can't wait. It sounds like from looking at their Kickstarter page, uh, within 24 hours, they had well over a million dollars already, and they had unlocked basically like the second stretch tier that they were going for. There's a couple that they're going for to actually unlock the full part of the game, which I think once they hit 2.5 million and they have the multiplayer PvP in, that's like one of the final big ones that they're trying to open up, which I'm sure they're going to reach that within the next 30 days because I think it was a 35-day campaign. I don't even think they needed that long of a campaign. They probably could have just gone the normal 28, 30 days that people do. But when I saw it was 35, I was like, huh, okay. But I, I, like I said, I pledged immediately day one. I just definitely wanted to get out of that game from the ground floor. And then there's another board game that I've been looking at recently, watching a few different videos on, and that's Steampunk Rally. I love racing games. I I mean, Elite Dangerous, I don't want to say Elite Dangerous is racing, but Elite Dangerous is flying around and there's just a lot of speed to it. Mad Max is a lot of racing. I have always loved car racing games and Steampunk Rally is basically where you're trying to build kind of like a steampunk machine in Race Around the Alps, it sounds like. I've, like I said, I've watched a couple of videos on this one. I kind of, I'm kind of hoping that somebody will have this game so I can give it a shot. I really would like to play it before actually purchasing it because I'm not too sure if the game is everything that I want it to be as far as a racing game goes. It's quite different than a lot of the other racing games I have like Formula Day or Race Formula 90. It's, it looks pretty interesting so far and I'm going to continue doing a little bit more research on it, reading a little bit more about it. And if nobody in the area does have it, if nobody plays pulls it out at a board game night, I will, I'll probably just have to pick it up myself and just hope that it is a good game. And it sounds like it is so far from what I can tell. So that is it. Hey, thanks for joining me, everybody. That are the, those are the games I want to play now. And that's it for the show. Hey, as always, send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. Send the emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can always follow me on Twitter at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G on Facebook. Just do a search for what I'm playing now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign. What I'm playing now podcast. And then, of course, our Twitch channel, which will be live again this weekend, is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. Hey, everybody. Watch out on Twitter for when I go live on Twitch. Also, don't forget. Like I've said in the at the end of the past couple of episodes, I am participating in the Extra Life 
campaign for kids this year. So go out to extra-life.org, do a search for either Team Recess or my name, Joe Luzzi, and you will find me under Team Recess. That's the local store that I do most of my gaming at, and I am participating as part of them. I will be hopefully streaming all of that 24 hours out of our board gaming out to Twitch when we do that on November 7th. So please go out there, give a pledge. I would greatly appreciate it, and I know the kids would too. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining me this week. I appreciate it. If you get a chance, give me some likes out on iTunes or any place you get your podcasting information from. If you can't find the podcast, let me know and let me know where you're looking for it at, and I will be sure that it ends up there so it's easier for you to get. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go play some games. Have a great week, and as always, let me know what you're playing now. Bye-bye.